lost in the woods and I'm only little. Come in here, into the cave. Oh, that sounds like Meemaw. Come in here, in the cave. Ah, now I'm not scared anymore because I hear Meemaw and I'm, everything's going to be okay. Come into the cave. Oh, let it be Meemaw. Oh, I, I won't go into the cave where Meemaw is and I, I felt alone and scared. Come into the cave. Let it be Meemaw. Oh, Lord. These are the kind of uh, things that I was confronted with as a young person in stories. And if you're a survivor of things like a little match girl, then please join me now as we reminisce about our loss of innocence. Well, this can happen anytime from zero to 80. And uh, the idea of this is just terrifying. And I remember as a child, my world going from just absolute uh, security and bliss to just being a horrifying insecurity. They, they bring this to you they, they, in the form of tales. You know, so here you go, here's your, oh, oh look, you're going to watch your grandmother die in an alley. You go, oh, my, oh, good Lord, no, please, sorry. And then they don't really give you anything after that because there's just some sort of salve then. <laughs> what do you mean? And there is a culture, and I can't remember what it is, and they, they disabuse the children of any uh, ideas of, uh, of a candy-coated world very early on. And I don't know whether it's 11 or 12 or something. They, maybe they give them a drug, I think, that lets them see all the horrors of existence at once. Thus, you know, forever uh, disrupting any idea that they are uh, safe and loved. And it's just, it's angel wings and everything. So now what do we do once, once we see, oh, this is an unspeakable hellish horror that uh, we live in. And any time that we see uh, innocence or vulnerability, we're about to have our heart ripped out. Come into the cave. It is Meemaw, by the way. I'm going to go ahead. I'm writing the story so he's safe because that happens a lot too. A lot of times when I went towards a voice that I thought was my grandparents, it was. And I'm trying to think of a time where it was a monster doing an impression. I don't remember this exactly. But this culture where they give you the drug that, you know, we don't really have that. You know, where we try to, at a certain age, we try to disabuse children of any optimism. Well, uh, well, weeblos around the same age or something. <clears throat> Say, hey, this is a you know, a world of sashes and uniforms or something, I don't really know, of camping. You'll be going camping with people who don't know what they're doing. And that is, that's life. That's what we are experiencing. So who are these people who aren't my family? Uh-oh, got to tell you about them. Well, you know, I know they look like people, and I know we do too. But here's the thing, uh, we're apes. I don't know if you know this because we've done experiments now, and uh, there's the, they even say the naked ape, because it doesn't have any hair, so it's embarrassing even. It's a horrible thing to be. We're monkeys? Not monkeys. There is a distinction. We are apes. So how about that? So naked uh, apes, so you can imagine living among them. So I'm going to set up my tent in the middle of a pack of apes that I'm really unfamiliar with and perhaps unrelated with to they're from the other side of the river and uh, I'm gonna go over and live there because I got a job in tech and now I'm with we're all oh my goodness all the humans are animals and we're animals too so that's you get to be afraid of yourself I find that uh, I find that interesting you know it's not like the outside world is the real, you're the real horror <laughs> that we should tell children. You're the monster, little child. Oh, bless you. I'm not here to do that. I'm here to calm hearts. But the first thing I like to do, like any kind of treatment, you get some of it smarts. Like you get physical therapy for your, some, I got my elbow or my hip or something's bothering me. Well, there's a wonderful person that's going to make you lie down and then they're going to wrench your leg around. And it's not going to feel good at first. And then, uh, eventually, you'll something you'll be walking. 
but that's the show is about. Now you might feel something that's uncomfortable. Boredom. Not boredom. Then you're not listening right. What are you telling me? I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to never question the listeners. Oh, why would I? Why would I do that? You don't tune in to be berated, do you? Some people do. That's the thing. My goodness, you never know what people are going to show up and want at your fetish bakery. What do you like, friend? Um, and I will serve it to you. You can't do that because, you know, you can't be all things to all people. You know, is this a kosher deli? Yes, it is. But I can also whip you up a Cuban sandwich. So, no, it's not a kosher deli. See, that's the thing. And you got, sometimes you just have to pick one thing, like a mimosa, orange juice, champagne. Pick one. You mix them together. Not everything cocktails. When I, I first learned the expression to cocktail, I'm into, as you know, I enjoy high-end fragrances, which I cannot afford, so I enjoy high-end fragrance samples, which is a thing. And uh, I know, it's the, beanie, it's the beanie babies of my life. Right now, I'm into that stage. I'm into the teacup beanie baby stage of my life. And so, I'm, you know, I use fragrance samples. And uh, when I got into that, I got into that world, and it's a... It is a world. It's a, in fact, it's a whole universe in Star Trek. There is a whole place where people just smelling things. It's a perfume galaxy. And uh, what I'm really, you know, what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Saks Fifth Avenue on that damn perfume floor. Good, wow! What kind of place is that? But I learned the expression to cocktail your fragrances. You can mix them together to get different things. You have one that. I've got one that smells like pineapple and one that smells like coconut. I'm going to make myself a pina colada. Everybody loves those. And everybody wants to, do you ever want to smell like one? Suntan lotion often smells like it. People want to, when you go on vacation, you want to drink it. You want to rub it on yourself. It's a funny combination of smells. I don't want to be at the beach. I want to smell like fruit salad and alcohol. And that will, mm, I just associate it with pleasure. Meanwhile, you're getting a form of slow radiation poisoning from the sun. But that's all right. The sun, oh, it's a dangerous lover. Often the ones you meet on vacation like that are. So I'd love, it felt so great, but now I have, you know, skin cancer or whatever the consequences are of your little liaison there with, uh, with sun or Saul, I guess we call her. What do we, soul? What do we call our sun? Saul or soul, something like that. It has a name. I can't remember what it is. And uh, who named it? Who got to name it? First person who got there got to name it. They had a big, it was, it was like Sonny McSunface or something got all the votes, but they were like, no, come on, something serious. And uh, that's how they name things. And, we, and they continue. And every culture has the same, did you know this? Every culture has the same name for God, and that's God. It's in translation. I mean, not literally. They don't all use that word. But isn't that interesting? That when I translate it, it's the same word. No, that's not interesting. You're right. You don't need to be interested all the time. My gosh, you're overtaxed. There's some things, and this is why it makes my pseudo job so difficult. When you tune into media or social media or anything like that, you are inundated and uh, with certain... Uh, uh, techniques to evoke emotions and and so what they get what they give you is things to be uh, mad at to be outraged at to be scared of to be titillated by to desire to be I can't remember anymore they'll come to me other stuff that you don't want that's like 12 things so you know uh, you don't, you're fatigued. Say, Hardy, when I, once I get to your show, I don't really want to be entertained or informed. And I know you love those, those uh, true crime podcasts and all that are great, but they're also, eventually you feel like, what am I, a law clerk? What do you need me for? Why are you involving me? What am I, a junior grade detective? Come on, don't get me invested in this. Y'all solve it. I'm, I'm no, you, I know you can. You don't need me. And I feel that way for a lot of things. A lot of 
you know, I don't need to listen to it. You don't need to give me all these. I'm sure it's, it's going to get solved. Or if it hasn't been, or justice will be, I'm no lawyer. So you give me these details of the case, and uh, it's crazy. Sounds crazy to me. But all you're going to get is my emotion, really. What do you listen to? Well, you know, everybody who listens to music instead of spoken word wants something a little more abstract. And then people who listen to just sound collage or just amp, like noise or something, not the genre. Gosh, it's hard to tell what I'm talking about. But, you know, it depends on what you listen to. Uh, you know, sometimes you don't really want to take in information. You just want to have an experience or you want to feel something. But that's the way my crime podcasts make me feel. I get excited when I hear about the stabbing. All right. Well, there you go. There's some things. It's nice to have a story because a lot of sometimes the el- there are elements that aren't important to the overall plot that a lot of people are there for. And I see that in science fiction and fantasy. I mean, they enjoy the plot and everything like that, but what they really like are the details, you know, all the little things that they could emulate or fetishize or make. I can make one of those. And I'm not mocking because I do that. I do that with, but not just, I don't do it with fantasy novels. I'll do it with like Orwell novels or something. I go, I'm going to go hop picking. I haven't been hop picking. uh, And I imagine it's, awful i don't like i don't enjoy hops i don't really like hoppy beer go harder you're missing out something i did have a i don't mean to digress so much this is a terrible digression but you'll understand where i'm going right now vermont burlington i got there and someone said you want a heady topper you can only get a heady topper here and i go what is that is that that what i think it is and they go no it is very much not what you think it is it's a type of beer. It has a lot of hops in it. More hops than you can imagine. I go, oh, hops. The thing that tastes like somebody's shoving Lipton tea bags into your mouth. That, but, but green. Like pot, pot and Lipton tea bags. Yes? Is that that? I go, yes, the beer tastes like that in excess. Is that something you like? And go, well, I don't normally like things that are bitter and, and, and make me gag, but I'll try. And I didn't enjoy it, but I know it's very, I know people like it. And they say, well, you're not sophisticated. And they go, look, you're not telling me anything I don't know. You just don't have good taste. You're not sophisticated. Man, you are, you're doing what they did to Eminem in 8 Mile. I know all these things, Clarence, whose parents are Terrence and Marrance. And they went to Larence. I get that. I'm not very smart or sophisticated. I understand that. And I'm not, I, although, unlike a lot of people, who tell these kind of stories, I'm not trying to, to be proud of it. I'm not proud of my lack of sophistication. When I travel, I'm absolutely terrified. I'm in a state of contrition and um, shame. Absolutely. I walk the streets of all European cities just feeling like apologizing. to everyone. I know I learn how to say I'm sorry in all these different languages, and I will just go around, you know... Uh, you know, Sumi Masen and people. And, you know, I remember one time I said, Je suis désolé to somebody in French, which doesn't really mean I'm sorry. It means I'm sorry like uh, like your parents died or something. I'm disconsolate. <laughs> you, know, you don't really say that to people when you don't know directions. So I was, uh, I, feel, I feel bad for my lack of sophistication. So there, hopefully I'm preempting any criticism. I always, ha- I, my whole life is preempting criticism by not doing or saying anything or just keep switching it up. You know, it's a, it's a sort of moving out of the way. Say, well, why don't you want to accept criticism? Well, I, I would love to, but it's like, you know, I don't have a mailbox, so I don't want to get mail. So I don't have anywhere to put it. Thank you. A lot of people can just, you know, where would I, where would I put it if you did give me criticism? I'm not sure. Well, you take it. I know you see you take you take it, but uh, did you ever walk down the streets of New York and someone hands you something? Don't take it. That's the thing, because there, you know, there's always something attached. 
No, you owe the money, and it's really a blank CD and all that kind of stuff. So imagine that I live in a very, very small, my, my mind palace is a Japanese apartment. And it just looks like a high-end, it looks like if you were a lawyer that everybody loves who committed a technical crime. And that's, that's the apartment it looks like, the jail cell. And then that's, let's say that's my brain. Now, what kind of things would you give to that person? Not something that they would want to accumulate in there. I've got to uh, keep it sort of, uh, sort of zen. And so, gosh, all that, I, I have enough criticism. Criticism for me is like sometimes like bad art. I make enough of it myself. Walls are covered with it. So when you give me yours, I did a crayon drawing of my butt. I go, I wish I had room for it. You know, but my walls are covered with my own crayon butt. And uh, I like it that way. But I like it that way. That's fun. It's all you need is an extra T and you can go around making all sorts of crazy innuendo. I'm so glad that you're with me. And I feel like the radio is different. Oh, we should have chats. Let's do this more like a podcast. I need to put a little more music in. Chapter two. So I tried reaching my phone, but I couldn't. No, I don't know. It's, um, who did I? I should make something up. I feel like I'm not constricted by the truth or anything like that. No one's going to hold me to it. You're no journalist. Oh, when I find journalists get in trouble. I remember there was a monologist who was telling a story. So I don't expect them to be true, but I guess there was some expectation of truth to this fellow's story. Maybe it had some kind of agenda. And, but he was telling this story. Turns out it wasn't true. <sighs> and I got scared for a minute because I was like, oh, I think I'm a monologist who lies. But maybe, you know, it can't seem close to the truth. I don't know what, I don't know what you're supposed to lie about. I remember that Lenny Bruce got arrested for pretending to be a priest, but I think he was asking for money. And that does seem like a line. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. If we had big, weird, chaotic religious festivals, I'm not sure I wouldn't dress up as, as some kind of religious figure and solicit funds, uh, you know, just... I don't know if I would do that or not. You know, a lot of you don't know what you do in certain situations morally. I'm so glad to be with you. And this is Chapter 3 now in our story of the mystery crime. Our detectives did not know what crime had been committed. They examined the apartment that they had invaded while the owner was away. It was large but small, very neat and cluttered. It smelled of alcohol, but not the rubbing kind, the kind that cocktails are made of. Everything there was cocktailed, all smells mixed together. The criminal must have been somebody who enjoyed odor or smelling, Maybe they had a, a, a very one super large nostril that was also super powered. And that part of their brain had enlarged. And now they were using their special smell to commit crimes or something. I don't know. Well, I'm supposed to know, though, if I'm making it up. That's the part about lies and stories and everything is the details get away from you almost immediately. If I was writing a novel, you have to... There's, there's, it's exponentially, well, here's my problem. This is why I couldn't write a novel. So let's say you write five pages, and I go back to write another page. I got to reread those five pages. This, every time that I sit down to do this thing, and I got to read it from the beginning. Now, how many times through have you read that book then? Like a zillion. And at some point, it becomes impossible, because near, near the end or halfway, you're reading, every time you begin to work, you first have to read a 100-page book, 200 pages. How's that possible? By the end, of, you know, it's like, oh, it just took me seven, eight hours to read what I'd just written. Now I've got to write something, you know. Uh. So I don't know that it is impossible to write a book unless you're content on just constantly forgetting what you've written. And you can do it that way. And I feel like that. If you've read a lot of novels, you know, so what is, I thought this character died. I guess he's back. 
Uh, no, but they don't have that problem, do they? Maybe it's just me. Again, I would. How do I know about how my brain measures up against it? Well, yeah, elementary school. So yes, I do know. Oh, oh, discouraging. But let's say I didn't know how, how I measured up. It's wonderful. You know, you are the you are the brightest and the dullest uh, star in your universe, and I think that's just wonderful. I guess it's all from all from our individual perspectives. And so I am talking to the lead. Take me to your leader. I'm the leader. Any one of us is the leader. Let me tell you that about us. First of all, spaceman, when you say take me to your leader, which is something I guess you guys say, we're, we all are. It's not that we're a collective. It's just that everybody here thinks that it's them, that they're the main character. So any one of us will do. So I am all humans, oh visitor from another planet. We're from your planet, but in the past. You mean the future? No, I mean the past. Oh, that's some Enoch stuff. You're like Enoch, Sleestack Enoch. I knew a lot of people thought that. That is amazing. Atlantis? What? No? Oh, so not Atlantis. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so whatever. Maybe past that or whatever. Oh my gosh, how about that? So, well, welcome back. Um, so much has changed. You know, you're going to find like anytime you go back to your hometown, you're like, wow, what have they done, man? They've gotten rid of all the good stuff. So we've gotten rid of all the stuff like uh, intelligence and foresight and all that. That's all gone. And um, just like the slee stacks, you know, we no longer wear vests like you guys. Um, still wearing the vest. Looks real good. I'd love to hear the story that went with how do you evolve to do that. And then we're back to doing things very primitively. And most of us suffer terribly. And no one has any awareness of really what's going on in themselves or others or their place in the universe. Was it like that with you guys? Because um, I wonder why it disappeared. Did it fall out of fashion? You know, you never know why things change. Oh, we change. You change so much in a relationship. It's true. Ask the Neanderthals. You know, I wonder what they were like. We still make them out to be. Every once in a while, they get rehabilitated, and then they go, no, because we find their bite marks on each other or something like that. So we're trying to trying to give them humanity, but maybe they were just bad neighbors. You know, you never know. You go, man, no, I can't believe, I feel embarrassed that they're also humans. You know, but are they? They would say. Um, the modern humans that lived alongside of them for a while. You never know how they, how, how, how that happened. You know, how that all went down. We know how things are going today, but we don't know who the Neanderthals are. I'm going to just go ahead and say it. I think it's me. Uh, I don't know, because I've been at parties where people go, your head seems small. And I go, oh, does it really? They go, yeah. And it does seem like I still have a crest where, where my ancestors had muscles because they were eating rocks. And so they needed better jaw muscles to crush the rock. And so they still have this ridge on the top of their skull with those muscles attached. The powerful jaw muscles of my ancestors, the rock eaters. And... I still have mine are vestigial because I just don't have as many ancestors as you do. And that does have my meaning. I've just done a lot of them overlap. I found that out. So, where, what are your, where are your ancestors from? They're Scottish people from Pennsylvania. So, um, and there's only, there was, turns out there's only eight of them, apparently. But you're all related to them, too. We're all, my goodness. There's so much. It's wonderful. So much overlap. We're all kinds of things to one another. All kinds of cousins. Um, I do have uh, cousins have married in my family. Not as, at a, actually, right around the same time as, as Darwin. You know, Dar, uh, Charles Darwin married his first cousin. And... Um, the Wedgwoods and the Darwins, they wanted to keep things tight. They are amazing families, and they were just like, let's just do, let's just pretend there's, it's a desert island that there's only Wedgwoods and Darwins and, uh, and, and uh, Galton. 
Um, but I had ancestors I found out because I was doing the ancestry site and I go, oh, and hang on, what's going on here? And I say, oh, there, I see why they, I have, you know, those great, great, great grandparents are the same because there's cousins that married. How about that? And then I thought about that side of the family and I thought, that tracks tremendously. I bet, so, I bet it doesn't feel diverse. They don't feel internally diverse or something to me. Um, but bless them, you don't know. My goodness. Pennsyl maybe Pennsylvania was smaller back then, even though it's immense, isn't it? I think there's a lot of people there, a lot of people to choose from. And you go, no, we like, we like our, our people. So when you do that, that's why I like to, I think just, uh, even not just for reproduction, but I like to expand my idea of the a world a bit too. I don't want it to close in on me. Oh my goodness, I like to hear what other people have to say. And it doesn't have to be opinions. Um, in fact, that's I'm not really particularly interested in. I'd rather hear them tell a story or give a recipe or something like that. I don't need to be, opinions are something we're used to hearing because they, they sell big here. But people in, uh, you know, it's just as humans, we don't need pre-sliced bread really necessarily. You know, we can uh, suss things out and discuss things out in the context of our interactions and our relationships. They don't need to be cut up and given to us separately. I don't like that. That's what leads to uh, the division is intended. Oh, my goodness, of course it is. You know, and uh, you might want to go along with it. Say, I like that. I like when things are, you know, I like the conflict. Uh, I like the fake um, you know, fake conflict is really what it is. It doesn't uh, rise up organically from our interactions, that it comes top down, that it's given to us as an option, uh, check a grievance. So uh, what are the popular grievances now? Here they are. You can adopt them as yours. Whereas people that live a more local life have different things that affect them. Imagine that. If you just had your community and stuff, there would be things that annoyed you would not be you know, global, you know, they wouldn't affect, you know, national level things. They would be your, your, your neighbors, what your neighbors did to annoy you. And that would vary a lot. That is not about ideology necessarily. You know, people have, people can be annoying and be any ideology. You know, people can do wrong stuff. So people get scared when we talk about morality. So don't talk about morality. no. Morality is just some if-thens, you know, about like uh, situations. You think, well, what it, it, would it be good if a person did in that situation generally? If you could not uh, control others, but sort of like in an ideal world, have other people's behavior be a certain way, what would you pick? So if you say, like, uh, um, they're walking along the road and they find something I've lost. And they know it's mine. By seeing it, do they have any obligation to return it? And you say, well, yes, they should return it. I don't think they should, you know, be vaporized in a cloud of, you know, vapor or something if they don't. But yeah, I think that once you see something like that, you know it belongs to your friend. Uh, help them out. It would make uh, things better if we sort of all uh, did that. Now, maybe you don't believe that. So that's good. That's fine. And, uh, and we should talk about things like that. So just so we know that if we're in a, a, a stealing is okay town, that we know that. Otherwise, we might go around, you know, assuming things about behavior or what's, uh, what's right and wrong. Oh, I'm not here to tell you about that. Oh, but it is fun to talk about. That's why you want to talk about, uh, what do they call them, uh, circumstances that haven't necessarily happened, you know, hypotheticals. What would you do in this situation? What choice would you make? It's like going into the holodeck. You don't have to do it, you know? You don't have to, every time you do a thought experiment, an actual train trolley full of people doesn't die because you've diverted the tracks incorrectly because you're a utilitarian or something, or a, I don't know. So, uh, you know, that's why we want to think and talk about them. And I think we're in... Uh, a, a larger discussion 
that you know, kindness is weakness or something like that. Tolerance is bad or difference is bad. Um, so we should have that. We should have that discussion. No, I don't believe in discussions. What do you do then? Oh my goodness. I can't stop believing what I believe. So sometimes you just have to forge ahead. And um, I forge ahead and just hope I'm being disruptive. That's what I, I think. Oh, maybe I can subvert things with, with my words. I thought you said they're nonsense. Uh-oh, I shouldn't have done that. Hello, all the world. This is my fear. And this has come true. Because there is a, there is a possibility that lots of people could be hearing my voice and that I am squandering it. But I would hear me out. Perhaps the squandering is my point. And you know, if you've been a long-time listener to the show, that there is a sort of sacred squandering, and it is the key to infinite life. Now you sound like a guru. I'm just saying that time itself is scary and burdensome, and that uh, if it's made too precious, it can break the heart. And so there needs to be a sort of uh, conspiracy of squandering, and that we need to... Uh, be frivolous with our time more. Oh, not everything has to be. I'm paralyzed sometimes with reading because I, I really want to make it practical. But I know that anything I read and everything I learn will contribute to my edification, that I will then have more knowledge than I had, whether it's emotional, literal, factual. But I still think, well, what am I going to actually learn? Am I wasting my time on some kind of story that's not going to go anywhere or one that I could have made myself? Could I be making the thing that I am experiencing right now? Every time I watch cooking videos, I think that. I actually watch them more for instruction. But when I listen to music, I sometimes think, could I be making music? And that's a wonderful thing. And I try to keep my relationship to art like that. I kind of keep some balance so that I'm, I'm listening to enough of something to make me want to make music, that I'm looking at enough art to make me want to make visual art, that I'm looking at enough dance to make me want to move my body, that kind of thing. Because it's the participating in it that gives it another dimension. Oh, I love art done brilliantly and by people who have mastered a certain discipline or certain craft. Oh, yes, I do. But I also love being an amateur anything because amateur means uh, for the love of the thing. Oh, a moriture. That's what I am. I am a lover. Oh, I'm a lover of so many things. And a lot of times they're experiences. We all love to sing. That's why, have you noticed, you know, some people can sing well and they sing alone and they sell records. Some people sing pretty good and they sing in a choir and it sounds great. Some people can sing, if a crowd is singing, it sounds amazing, right? But not everybody in that crowd can sing, but it balances out. The more people there are, you get an effect, you know? You're, 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 you said, well, is my talent amplified or is it diminished by the participation of others? Well, you're making something wholly other, so it's, it's going to be a bigger voice. If you are very talented, it is going to improve the overall thing. If you're not so talented, you're not going to really drag it down, but your energy, the thing that you bring, will also improve it. It's going to be greater than the sum of its parts. Everything we do is everything we do together. Oh, my goodness, that's why it's so important that you listen to every single minute of the show that ever has been recorded. And that is very, very important that you do that. You're being, my tongue is so far in my cheek. It's so, a lot of it's because I got a cold sore. But a lot of times my tongue is in my cheek also because I'm doing a bad visual joke. But then the third reason is, I'm just kidding or I'm being ironic or something like that, and I'm told that that's what you do. Because all idiomatic expressions become visual poems in our heads, don't they? You know they do. And then they take on another dimension, because a lot of times things like, you know, are absurd. Um, 
for instance. Can't think of one. Can't think of any. Sorry. Guess I'm wrong. Um, it feels right. Sometimes I'll say something and I'll think back and I go, is there any evidence for that? You know, I'm like, nah. But you know, I still think it's right. It just feels good. So there you go. Um, and I, I used to think I was just a fun creative technique. Now it seems to be a sort of a dominant philosophy. So maybe it's not so good anymore. Coming back at you like that. Oh, that's the kind of world you want? Uh, maybe not. Yes, hello, is this Phil? Yes. Uh, yes, you don't know me, uh, but I got your name uh, from a thing, and I believe that you committed a crime, a murder, in the 80s. I'm hanging up. No, wait. Woolwonkle. How do you know that word? Well, wait a minute, hear me out. I'm not trying to blackmail you or anything. I just want to know why you killed the Tyler boy in a fit of ragu. What? I want to know why you killed the Tyler boy in a fit of ragu. A fit of ragu? Hey, normally I don't interrupt. Hi, it's me, uh, Lou, the producer. Hi, Lou. Yeah, um, so I think you're reading the script wrong. It's a fit of rage. Fit of rage. Now, why would it be ragu? Exactly. Why would it be ragu? Yeah, oh, I'm so sorry. No wonder... Phil's, I, Bobby thinks I'm crazy. Oh, my goodness. Not ragu. I don't know. Maybe it did involve ragu or something like that. But uh, I'm, I'm so glad you corrected me. Oh, my goodness. Imagine if this had been the original and not a recreation. What if I was calling the real Phil about the murder? Our investigation had reached a roadblock. We knew there had been a murder. There must be a murder. We just didn't know who it was or who had committed it or when it happened. It could have happened any time or maybe it hadn't happened yet. We were stumped. We decided to pick uh, at random a murder suspect and then make things stick. So we just looked someone up in the phone book and then we started looking for clues and it turns out that you can make a lot of deductions, or I don't know what they're called, but connections of people to, uh, you know, nefarious stuff. And so we just, it all worked out pretty good. We had pretty good evidence, or non-evidence, I don't know what you want to call it, um, against this person. And it was beautiful. So we went ahead and we broadcasted, and then they made a movie about our murder podcast. Then they made a musical of the movie about our murder podcast. Then they made a TV show about the musical about the murder about our podcast. It's just recursive like the house that Jack built or Hairspray. It's crazy. Oh, my goodness. The universe is a strange place, and so I'm glad that you're tuning in more and listening more to broadcasts and podcasts and things like that. So I'm going on a... Um, I'm going on an isolated spiritual retreat. Can you guys recommend any podcasts? Because I'll be alone in this hermitage and like, ah, la, 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 alone with my thoughts, my goodness. So there's a couple ones I like. There's a science one I really like. Um, there's one that's kind of mysterious. It's called My Inner Self. Now, some people, it's very, I've read a lot. Lately, of people saying specifically, I have no inner monologue, I have no inner dialogue, there's no voices in my head, nothing is going on in there. I think completely abstractly in zeros and ones. And I'm thinking, now, hmm, okay, you're being awfully honest, but it's making my job as a Blade Runner or whatever very, very easy. No, it doesn't mean anything. I have so many. I have an inner core. I don't, you know, I don't even know. It's not a dialogue. It's a whole play. Is it a play? That's very pretty highfalutin. It's a TV. It's a TV play. Those are pretty good. 
You know, I'm talking about the era when, you know, you go, oh, Wally Cox is in this. Is it is it funny? Is it not funny? It's hard to tell. I like it. So that kind of thing where, you know, Rod Serling is promoting it. Fantastic. It's straight up theater. And um, those were the days. TV had some pretense. Now it's real. I think it's also sophisticated now, just in a different way. You can be sophisticated and be very lowbrow. Is that possible? I don't know. Why not? To throw it all in there. Something can be spicy and mild at the same time um, on different days or whatever. I'll tell you, anything you need to hear. Gosh, I, I wish that was a job. It is. I think it is, and I, I'm, I'm willing to do it. It's just I can't figure out what it is that people want to hear, what they need. Because they say, oh, you know, you're going to make a lot of money just telling people what they want to hear. I know. What is that, though? <laughs> that If you figure that out, that's the 10 dollar question ten dollar ten thousand ten million whatever you want to do you can make any money you want from anything hey listen i gotta i gotta tell you how did i made how did i get this great watch how did i get this great car how did i get this how did i get this lifestyle you want to know you listen to me i'll tell you you know how i got it all magazine sales i sell magazines sell them door to door old-fashioned way i go up there and say you want a photography today six months from now and you want about three issues and they give me the money, and I got this. I got this watch. So you know, the only thing holding you back is your incredulity and your rational. Uh, you know, I don't know what you. All the good things. They're all good things. Good. Let them hold you back. I, I wish I. I don't want to sell you anything. Do you know what? I'm sorry. That's me, me on the boardwalk, selling a. a like a vegetable slicer, be there for a few minutes, and I go, you know what? I'm sorry. It's a piece of crap. I'm sorry. I can't do this. But I use that as an excuse for almost every job I've ever been in. I eventually, I sit back and I go, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't do this. And people go, what do you have, a moral, ethical? And I go, no, I just, I just hate it. I hate it. So uh, I don't think that's, I mean, I've never, I wouldn't do that if I, well, I always need the job, but there's always a, there's always another um, application process waiting for your lies. And then you can, as long as you get your foot in the door, that's all you want. Once you're in, it's hard to fire you for saying that you were in the Army for a long time in a leadership position. No, I don't know. Again. But what if you used it to get a job at a, at a lumber yard? They'd still sing it. Well, that's, it is... It is stolen valor, but on the same time, Tony is very, very good at ordering all the new plywood that we need. So I don't know. He could have been a great soldier. Why he felt the need to lie about it, we will never know. So that's, uh, that's one thing. Tragedy often strikes at unexpected times and in unlikely places. An ordinary island boat tour. The type tourists take every day. The sea is like a dream, and you sail off in search of peace. But the sea, the sea is unpredictable. And when those summer storms roll in, they are fierce and merciless. And they have taken the crew and passengers of the SS Minnow, never to be seen again. Among the missing and presumed dead, Gilligan, the skipper, a millionaire, and his wife, a movie star, a professor, and a Marianne, gone. Bagheera opened his jaw wide and showed his teeth. You shall live in here, young Mowgli. I have had about enough of you. No, he didn't say that. He threatened to eat him. 
Oh, I'm reading a book to some younger relatives. I like to read books to children and then hold them up and show them the pictures, even if it doesn't have any. I did this with Treasure Island. I was reading the Treasure Island. I said, and the, pirate, the pirates came into the Billy Bimbo Legs Inn. And they held up the book. I said, there he is going into the inn. Like that, and you kind of narrate the picture. Here he is. He's receiving the black spot. And uh, when that happens, that means for the pirates. Oh, my goodness. What young person doesn't fantasize about being on a pirate ship alone without their parents in a barrel of rotten fruit, which I think is what the, the young stowaway does. His parents might have been killed. I don't know. I think he was running the inn by himself. I read this so long ago, and I've been meaning to reread it. You know how that is. And then I keep thinking they're bound to make some kind of remake of it. I'll just watch that. And there is a treasure island, and it's very, very good, and I think it's from the 30s, and it has, you know, renowned character actors in it and everything. But, um... I love that kind of pirating. Um... And I think it's that kind of thing. I think maybe even Disney did it. Can you imagine? That's a wonderful thing. Disney's done a lot with um, basically violent criminals. Because you can... When Mickey Mouse started, he was very, very violent and um, was like kind of like Little Caesar, you know. And then they kind of made him... They made his eyes big and they go, no, he's infantile. But when he's back when he was Steamboat Willie, he was shooting people in the head, I think. And, um, is this the end of Mickey, he said. Then they made him very gentle, and they make the eyes big, and they make everything look like a fetus. Because we love the fetus. The fetus is the new eagle in the United States. It love big-eyed, um, just things that are still in utero, but they have big uh, Xavier Cugat children painting eyes, or whatever, I forget did those large-eyed he might have done clowns or something who did the big-eyed children them oh it'd be lovely oh what a what, everybody had big eyes and tiny little mouths like that that's what we're hoping for aliens they always are depicted like that it's really what you hope is like i hope some i hope like a little baby comes from outer space and saying where and you mean like oh like clint howard no 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 not like baby clint howard where you think it's Something hideous, but it's something even worse. So, uh, no, no, no. I mean, like, um, I don't know, like the little baby, cute baby things, like the owl that goes, I like the, the Al Jolson who says, I like to sing about the Muna and Juna. You know, just things that remind us of what's all that noise you're doing, Hardy? Well, my headphone wire has become really tangled up in something, and I'm, I'm thinking I might. Uh, accidentally strangled myself so I was trying to take care of it without stopping and I did it and I'm not going to die of this after all out of uh, choking on his own cord that'd be terrible well I'd be doing I'd be doing something I loved and I'd try to make it seem like self-sacrifice he was doing it for his listeners I love you but I don't even know who you are so I don't know if I do it for you or not I may I always take credit retroactively people say um, Hardy, I listened to your show. We've never met. I've listened to your show, and a lot of it has really helped me at certain times. Thank you. And I, I'll always say something like, "Well, you're welcome." Like I did it. Like I was. I was. I thought maybe that would happen because I don't. I don't know. It's like a really, really wonderful wish come true, but I don't know what's happening. I try to. Uh, I don't know what I'm really trying to do. I guess I imagine who you are, and maybe I come close. And I think you're uh, wonderful, pretty much, because you're alive and you're curious. If you're listening to this, it's all, what do you call it, self-selection and everything. You, you, you self-select for being patient and curious and free-thinking. And then all I have to do is just sit here and have you not tune out. And then I've got a friend. Because then we realize that we, perhaps we value the same thing. And that you're listening to something, oh my goodness, what are, what are, is it? It's up for you to define, we make it together. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And that is the way, is it the way that it should be? I hope not, but we don't know what we're doing. So I don't want to do something that we should be doing. 
Did I tell you I got one of those meters that reads uh, electromagnetic something or other? I don't even know what that. I thought it was just electricity. But it meant there's fields, like electrical fields. And I got it because someone said, oh, you can spot ghosts. But it doesn't detect live people. So I don't know if you get become super electrical when you're when you're dead, but it does really. You, here's the things I can find with it: microwaves, running microwave ovens, um, routers. I can find routers, um, old old refrigerators, the backs of old refrigerators. I can find, but there are some mysterious electrical fields, and right in the middle of nothing. And I'm thinking, oh, this can't be can't be great, <clears throat> but also it probably isn't a ghost. It's hard to tell. I mean, if I were a ghost now, the place I'd hide is behind the fridge. Because if they were trying to use one of these crude things, it wouldn't work. And then the fridge, if you put a mic back there, too, you'd get all... I mean, that's, and that's the fridge, not the ghost. So I don't know how you, how you even go about detecting ghosts. There's been TV shows on for decades now, and I'm not sure they got any... Occasionally, they'll get a like a... Uh, you know, a faint get out or something. And maybe like, a you know, somebody in the distance walking by. Maybe. But I, I was real, I'm really hoping something. What's the kind of ghost I want to see? Oh, you know, it would blow every. This would change everything as if it was Casper. Like straight up cat, like it was cartoonish. Have a lot to deal with. But I wouldn't because I would think. Oh, I know what we're doing. I, we're seeing another dimension. We're seeing the uh, the second dimension. Because, and um, I know somebody who saw the fifth dimension in the 60s in Harlem. Listen, I want to tell you something. I'm, if, if you thought for a minute that I was not thankful or aware of our time together and the importance of certain broadcast things that we all do for a long time. What are those called? Not standards. Conventions. Uh, hey, there's a reason I blocked out that word. You too, right? Like, we don't, I don't want to remember the conventions. If those memories come back to me, then I'm morally, you know, culpable for them. And I've got to go. There's a lot of phone calls that would have to be made, but I don't remember half the conventions. They just call them cons now. Isn't that wonderful? It's funny. Calling them cons is the new convention. I love it. I use this on my students. I don't have students, um, but I have teachers, and it's all of you. It's everybody who's ever given me unsolicited advice. No, you don't do that. Thank goodness. You're beyond help, party. Thank you. I love when people say that because that really that's really true. Um, and it's so liberating for me. I'm glad I'm beyond help. Help is, my goodness, because when people say helpful things, you sometimes you f feel the need to, you know, follow people's advice. You know how that is with, it's like when people give you a book, you go, oh, crap. Guess what I'm, guess what huge thing I'm reading. So sometimes recommendations can be burdensome, and if they come with gifts and things like that, too. So, um, I've given you an entire hobby. Oh, no. Yes, I gave you a beer-making kit. I don't really drink beer. Yes, but now you can make it. First, go hop-picking. I don't want to go hop-picking. So I try not to give things that are going to cause people more something, um, trouble, than, than uh, delight. And I find that I can give the gift of my absence can be delightful to people, or joyous even. There's some of you that don't know, have been to events that I haven't been at that don't even know how much that my absence has improved them. And I don't get anybody, I don't, no one thanks me. No one thanks me. No one thanks the rain for not coming to a picnic. Isn't that funny? It angers the weather. The weather wants to do the opposite now. Now maybe I want to rain on your wedding. It's inside. Okay, still, I'm sure it would wreck the day. No? All right, then. If it was at the beach, have it at the beach. Think about having it at the beach so I, the weather, can come there and be spiteful to you. I wouldn't do that. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, start raining on these people, and they go, oh, it's a sign of fecundity, man. Love it. 
And then you go, I can't. Oh, it's so maddening. Sometimes you can't. It's so hard to, to, to mess with your enemies. I don't even bother. I'm not even sure I have any. I might have any. If I have any enemies, first of all, they're not very good because they're not doing much animizing. And I know I don't have any, like, there's no one I have so much animosity towards or hate for that I'm thinking about them all the time or plotting. And that feels good, too. There's people in the, in the general public that, that wreck havoc and everything, and I, I wish they would, you know, not, I don't want them to die. I just want their existence to be, I just want them to be, what do I want them to stop? That'd be lovely. But if I really want people to change. Because, I mean, it doesn't, if you tried to, if you tried to ex exterminate, get rid of, move, dismiss, or ignore everybody that you, you, you disagree with or who is, you know, doing terrible things, you go, you know, it's best if they would just stop doing bad things or, you know, how do you do that? That's very naive. I don't know. Man, if somebody gave me a choice between killing somebody and changing their heart, I wouldn't even be close. I would go for the changing their heart thing. I don't want to be burdened with I decide who, who lives and who dies. Never, my goodness, I can't do that. I can share very, very uh, energetically my values and beliefs. I think I can do that. And I can use, also, I can use magic and trickery. But I won't go into that. That's another thing. Uh, but that's my business, right? It's my business how I change the world, isn't it? Unless you're, I don't have to, oh my goodness. Well, just come to the meetings and this wouldn't be a problem. And then you wouldn't be all like, well, why aren't you telling me? You're not there. You're not at the, at the organizational meetings. We have them all the time. And, um, you know, I'll tell you what, I've never been to one of the, um, FMU board meetings. And you may have, or you may have Skyped in or something. But um, sometimes, I know there's like a tribunal star chamber portion. Um, and that's kind of scary. And I've, sometimes I feel like if I don't know, if I don't witness that, then I don't have to think about it. But um, I think it's true. I think there's like a big, they wear robes, candles and things like that. Some of it sounds neat. I'd love it. I'd love to, um, there's uh, sometimes if you can be invited to lay on the table in front of them. And I've always, I've kind of fantasized about that. And, um, but you know, then I work, I got to drip candle wax on me or something kinky or weird or cut out my heart. Um, I hope not. That's a lot of nonprofits do that, I think. Not literally. But, you know, you can be disenchanted. That's a form of disenchantment. You know, you ripped my heart out. It turns out you're not really that, you know, not that really a great of an organization. FMU is. WFMU is wonderful. I love it. I've, I've given my so much of my, a good little portion of my adult life to being associated with it. Good chunk, over a dec you know, decade and change. And some people have given more than that. So they're all in. They can't, it's like being in a cult. What now? You know, what am I supposed to say? No, I don't, you know, I don't, I, the cult leader was wrong. Nah, so you, you've been to F, you, you've been a listener or a DJ at WFMU long enough. You're trapped, kind of, you know, psychologically trapped there, which is wonderful. I love it. I love it. I love all of you. You are listening to Miracle Nutrition on WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, 91.9 in Rockland County in New York City, New York, and online. WFMU.org, worldwide freeform radio, the way that it was meant to be, the world is saying the bang, and all the brothers come together and look at the sun. So let's have go out there now and bless you and have a wonderful week and stay tuned for the Matthew.
mahogany. Twins name was Ebony. Her name was 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 mahogany. Twins name was Ebony. Twins neighbors ever me. Her name was Mahogany. Twins neighbors ever me. Her name was Mahogany. Twins neighbors ever me. Her name was Mahogany. Twins neighbors ever me.